Let's get into James. We have only two more sermons, including this sermon in James. And then we're in a mystery book in the fall. Who knows what it's going to be. But all right, open up to James. We are in chapter 4. And we're just covering only uh, chapter 4 tonight, which is nice. We're not going to jump around. We're just in James chapter 4. That's 17 verses we're going to read. The title, if it helps you think about what this is about, is on is Friendship with the World. So we're talking about tonight. Friendship with the world. I'll read the first 17 verses of James and then we will get into it. It says this. Also, I mean, just quick warning, this is like a slap in the face a bunch of times. So this is the word of God, not me. Here we go. James chapter four. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, which just quick pause, this is like two Christians, So James just called us adulterous people. Just receive that from James. Okay. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you are a judge of the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a a time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your holy, perfect, inerrant, infallible word. Thank you that Holy Spirit, you breathe and spoke through James. And we just heard from God. And Lord, as we unpack it and as we just wrestle with it and just kind of like sit underneath it and apply it to our lives, would would you speak to us? Would you do just that, that crazy thing you do as we gather around you and sit 
under your word, would you meet with us? Would you humble us? Would you encourage those of us who need encouraging? Would you just put like that sharp edge of your word right where it needs to be to convict us, God, and to ultimately just bring us to Jesus? Help us to see the glory and beauty of Jesus tonight. Would we meet with you? Would this not just be an exercise of the mind, but would this be communion with you, God, as we listen to you? Would this be like, I'm just sitting down with with God. I'm sitting at Jesus' feet right now. You're worthy. Come and speak to us. Help me just to be faithful, Lord, not to speak a single thing that you would not have me say. Help me be faithful to your word and your truth. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's a funny thing. We become like the friends we spend time with, right? You guys know that. You guys have friends or maybe brothers or sisters, and it may just be like funny ways of talking, right? Like just little phrases. Like I don't know where it came from, but I say 100% instead of yes. And that's, I, I don't even think about it until I'm speaking with someone like who doesn't live here and I, I like catch myself because they're like, 100%, I guess he means yes. Like, I don't know where it came from, but it just comes out. We just, we pick up, we talk, we act like each other. We have the same interests as each other. And not only that, we kind of like take on the culture we spend time in, right? Like, as we just kind of like are in a culture, uh, it like fashion, it all kind of like moves together, right? Like, even without thinking about it, we kind of just dress alike or look alike, even what we do for fun, like if it's coffee shops, or if it's going outdoors, whatever it is, like, it just kind of rubs off. Like, people in Santa Barbara, here's what I've noticed. If you're a local, you probably haven't noticed this, but if you're not a local, you have noticed this. People aren't into professional sports here. Like, people don't, like, watch a game and are into, like, NFL or, like, NBA. It's just not a thing here. Like, it was where I came from in Rancho Cucamonga a couple hours south. I think because it was, like, there's not a lot else to do, so you're just, like, into sports. When I came here, like, Nobody cared about the Lakers. Like, nobody wanted to watch. I was like, what's going on? Like, they're like, oh, let's just go to the beach or let's just go hiking. I'm like, yeah, but the game. And so I, it's, just, it's just interesting, right? Everywhere you go, like, you just kind of like absorb the culture. We just kind of absorb what's around us. What becomes normal, what is normal around us becomes normal to us. Uh, really funny story about this. My wife and I go up to Slow, San Luis Obispo, at least once a year, usually for our birthdays or in fall, and it's just like a fun time to be up there. And one time we were up there, and we usually just try to find something new and explore, and we like found this random kind of like cliff overlooking this beach, and we're like kind of climbing on like this cliff. We're like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, look, there's a little beach down there. And people are kind of far away, and we're like, are people naked? And it was like just far enough that you couldn't really tell. Like maybe they're just wearing like natural looking bathing suits. And then like you, people are swimming and there's like kind of different people around. And then we see a couple like walk onto the beach with bathing suits. And we watch them like, know, they, we watch them realize what is going on. And they get there and you just see them looking and we're like, oh my gosh. And then they take off their bathing suits and they just charge into the ocean. They're just like, yes, like this is it. Like if this is ever time, this is the time, right? Like they didn't think I'm going to a nude beach and I'm going to be nude in public. But next thing they know, it's like, oh, okay. Like that's what we do. And then everybody was just naked. Like for whatever reason, we do that. When, when it's, people are doing it around us, it just is kind of like, okay, yeah, this is what we do. For better or worse, we become like the people we spend time with. And we become like the environment we just spend time in. If you, 
if you spend time with godly people, like it'll rub off. It'll just rub off on you. And if you, if you spend time just in the world and listening and watching and just accepting what is acceptable, like it'll rub off on you where you don't even notice it's happening. That's for better or worse. That's just how we are as humans. People say like things are better caught than taught. Like people just, you just kind of like take on what's around you. And James chapter four is talking about that issue. And he's talking about one major theme, one major idea. He's talking about the world. He's talking about friendship with the world. Like what happens when you are in the world and like what happens to you and what just rubs off and what becomes normal to you. And specifically as a Christian, what is it like to be in the world and, and like, and let these things rub off on you or not. And um, so some of you guys are like, what are you talking about the world? Like the planet Earth? Like what, what is the world? If you don't know what that means, it's just a biblical term for like collective humanity in a sense. Collective humanity, but humanity that, has, that is not walking with the Lord, okay? The world, when it, it refers to that in the Bible, is kind of like the collective humanity that like shakes their fist at God or says like, we don't listen to you. We will not do what you say. Maybe like art, it may be culture, it may be literature, it may be like in our, expressed in our classrooms or conversations. It's pretty much just anything that like exalts itself against God. That's the world. So, you know, in Southern California, it's gonna, the world is gonna be unique than like Southeast Asia, but it's still referred to as the world. Every part of the world has culture and thoughts and mindsets and norms that are like not submitted to God. Now, quick note, God, when he looks at this evil world that's like shaking their fists at him, he actually loves the world. Like, just think about that. Here's this collective billions of people who are like, we hate you. And he's like, man, I love the world. I love them. And that's why he came to, to save and seek the lost and to make the world his own. So God, when he looks at the world, he loves the world. And we as followers of Christ are called to do the same, to have this heart of like, man, I love these people and I want them to know Jesus. But James isn't talking about that like general, I love people here and I want them to know him. He's warning in this chapter of this like attitude of friendship, this like close association and participation with like the ungodly systems and thoughts and practices of the world, okay? This is what James refers to as friendship with the world. He's not saying, hey, don't be friends with an unbeliever. Don't be friends with people who don't know God. But he is saying, hey, I'm talking about you participating with or just immersing yourself in, or even like smiling upon the injustice and rebellion that you see around you. That's what James is talking about. His main point is this, and he says it in verse four. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Another way of saying that is to be God's enemy. On some level, there is a line in the sand, and we are either like with God or we are with the world. On some level, you cannot just be like, yeah, I'm good with all, all of this and like I'm good with God. He says, if you are like just good and accept this stuff, you are actually my enemy. And to be a friend of God on some levels, to be like, dude, I'm not, I'm not with this stuff. I'm different. I stand against all of this. That idea of like a friendship with the world 
it, it shows up early in the, Old, in the Old Testament. Remember Israel, God like delivered them. And he's like, hey, I'm about to bring you into the promised land. And he says, I'm, I'm calling you to drive out all the nations there and all their customs. And he says, don't marry their sons and daughters because the more you spend time with them, the more normal it will be. And the more normal it will seem to like, oh, you can see your God. And oh, he's like, on your mantle? Oh, that, yeah, okay, like that makes sense. In fact, you know, that actually kind of makes more sense to me than, I mean, I can't, we can't even see our God. Like what, he like wrote some stuff down and like we're supposed to believe it. Like this kind of makes sense. You can like see a God and, and like when you like sacrifice to him, he like does stuff for your crops. And God's like, hey, don't even hang out with them. The more you do, the more you just become friends with them, all of a sudden, like wicked idolatry just becomes kind of normal. And that's that picture as Israel like refused to be different, as they like married their sons and daughters, as they spent time in these cities, they were supposed to drive all this stuff out. They didn't, they just lived in it daily. And, and even like, okay, this isn't that big of a deal. And the next thing you know, like they were full blown, like sacrificing their babies to an idol. Like, how do you get there? Well, because it just becomes kind of normal. This is just what everyone's doing. It, it's, it, it kind of makes sense. And so God is speaking to us as Christians. He's saying, hey, friendship with the world and how it thinks, it'll be a subtle slip, but it will lead you away from God. And here's like another way to think about the world. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever have like seen rivers or like on fishing in rivers. I was just up in like Yosemite area and there's so much water right now. Like there's rivers, waterfalls is extreme. And it's fun to kind of look at a river and like, could I cross that? Like, could I swim across that? Like, and so the world is kind of like, hey, we are all collectively in this giant current and everything is going in this direction. And you may not even think about it. If you're a fish in a river, you're not like, oh, we're all like going in a direction. That's just what's normal. We're all just moving in a direction. And when you look around, everything is going in that direction. You're not gonna notice that. But, but James is saying, you are, you are in this world, in this river. And listen, if you're just relaxing, you're not against it. You are fully with it. And you are called to like turn around and swim against that current. And if you want to follow Jesus, it will feel like this daily, like swimming against everything that is normal. And can anybody even just testify, like, that's what it feels like? Like, it's kind of tiring. It's kind of hard, right? Like, who, which, who just got up today? Like, oh, I just spent like three hours with the Lord and I wasn't tempted. And I just like floated through today and just came in just singing worship. That happened to be the same song they were singing. I'm just like cruising. Like, who, that's not what following Jesus is like. It is hard. It is like this daily swimming against the stream of the world. That is, and just be encouraged, that's what is, is normal when you are called to follow Jesus is to be against this whole like system and way of thinking. And not only that, I want us to notice one more thing uh, before we kind of get into specifically what is friendship of the world. Uh, verse five says this. Do you not know that he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? Do you know what's awesome? God is jealous for you. And he is like, do you know what? I'm not just saying, hey, start swimming against the world for me. He's like, I'm coming after you. And I'm, I, I want you with me. And you serve a God who, who 
left heaven, came to the world and said, you're mine and I died for you and I pay the price and I pay the penalty and the cost and all the stuff you couldn't do, I've done that for you. I ran after you individually. I've saved you. And God is jealous for you and your life and what you're gonna do tonight and tomorrow. He's jealous for you. And because he loves you, he's like anything that is gonna like take the attention of your heart He's like, I'm going after that because he loves you. God's not like insecure, jealous, like, oh, I hope they don't like find someone better. He's like, man, I know I'm best. And sometimes they forget and I'm jealously gonna show myself to be better than anything. And that's actually a good thing. God, God is jealous for your heart. And your heart is like in the world and it's like tempted to, towards all these different things. But God's like, no, nope, I am jealous and I'm coming after you. Um, uh, just picture that, you know, my wife, Ariana and I have been married for six years and uh, it's good for me to be jealous for like her affection, right? Like if, uh, and it's good for her to be jealous for my affection. So imagine, this is just going to be disturbing. Imagine if I just spent hours every day, like with other women, just like, yeah, I'm just, we're just hanging out, like it's whatever. Uh, I would just like go over to their house. We just hang out, have deep conversations with them. We'd go out to dinner, like, I would, it would be, a, it's a right thing for Ariana to be like, what are you doing? Like, that is not okay. I'm jealous for your love. And it is a good and right thing for her to be like, nope, I'm confronting that. That is wrong. And it would, and it would not be good for me just to like, yeah, spend all this time. Yeah, it's good. Like, obviously I'm not like married to them and I don't love, obviously I have Ariana, but like, I'm just gonna spend all my time and money and affection and attention over here. I know like I have my wife, but that's, you know, I'll do this too. God is like, he's jealous for your heart. And he says, I will oppose and go after whatever threatens your love for him. And how good that God isn't like, man, I hope they come back home. He's like, I'm leaving home and I'm finding you wherever you are because I love you and I'm jealous for you. And friendship with the world, it's like this flirting with everything that is against him. God is like, I'm gonna go after that. And tonight, he's... God is literally in this text right now as you are sitting under God's word. He is going to confront your friendship with the world. And it's gonna sting a little, but view it as God's like, I love you and I'm coming after your heart right now. View, when you read the Bible and you're like, God is crazy. View it as he is jealous for your heart and he's gonna come after and confront all these other lovers, all these other hobbies, all these other things that you're flirting with, he's like gonna come after that because he's jealous for you. So James, in this chapter, we're gonna look at five ways that we have become friends with the world. And uh, God's gonna slap us in the face. You guys ready? Ready for a little like loving uh, confrontation from God? All right, here we go. Uh, number one, the first way we have become friends with the world is when we listen to our flesh, okay? We listen to our flesh. That's like what verses one to three are talking about. There's that specific phrase he says in verse one, your passions are at war within you. Okay, if you're a Christian, some crazy thing has happened to your soul where you are this fusion of a new person and I love God and I love his word and I love worshiping him and I love being in his presence and 
there's like this other thing that like doesn't love God and doesn't want to be with God and wants to like go after temptations. And it's all this stuff you used to do before you knew God. It's like still there though. Like, has anybody experienced that? That is called the flesh, okay? So if you're a Christian right now, you are like these two things in your soul. And it's, that's what verse one's talking about. Your passions are at war within you. Every Christian, every one of you right now, if you love Jesus, there's part of you, your new heart and the Holy Spirit's like, man, I love God. And then there's this other thing in you, your flesh, that loves all the same stuff you loved before you found God. And right now there is a war going on in you. And friendship with the world is listening to your flesh, listening to all of those desires that are in you. And you know what's interesting? We're told, okay, when it comes to desires, do you know what? Just go with it. Go with, like, follow your heart. If your heart desires something, just do it. And your desires, we live in a culture that says your desires are what's most true about you. Do you know what's most true about you? It's not, you know, your ethnicity. It's not your biology. It's not anything. It's not even your education. It's what you feel. That is who you are. We just live in a crazy culture that says that. Your desires are your identity. That's where we live. But do you know what's funny? We all know that's ridiculous, okay? Uh, hey, what would you say to me if I'm like, guys, I, I really want to murder somebody? What would you say? Would you say, you say, well, don't do it. Obviously, don't go to jail. You should resist that desire. That's not who you are. Don't do it, right? Uh, what if I were to be like, guys, you know what? I just want to be unhealthy and not exercise, and I just want to eat in and out for every single meal. That is what I desire. If you love me, you would be like, hey, you should probably resist that desire. I'm sorry, but that's, you should resist that one. Uh, even like on a kind of heavier level, what if someone were to passionately believe their ethnicity is superior to every other ethnicity? What if someone had that like desire? And, and we do, like that's just part of the fall. Man, my race is better and I passionately believe that. What does our culture say? Well, no, resist that. That's racist, right? We get that. Even the craziest people in our culture are like, hey, don't murder people. You should probably be healthy and don't be racist. But, but it's so interesting because all of a sudden like, yeah, but okay, what about over here? Yeah, I have like these sexual desires and I just, I just want to like, what if someone were to say, I want to have sex with everyone I see? They're like, yeah, that's cool. That's like who you are. You're just, you, that's just like how, that's part of who you are. What, what if you're attracted to the same sex? Yeah, for sure. That's who you are. You can't change that and don't listen to anyone who says you can't change that. That's just who you are. That desire is who you are. But I want to murder someone. Well, that desire is not who you are. But this one is. What if I, and this is sensitive, but, but listen to this. We have to hear this. I just feel like I'm a different gender. Now, that is a real experience. That's not a ridiculous fake experience. But just because someone desires something does not make that true. We, we understand that with a whole handful of things, but our culture has chosen a couple of things and run, run with it. If those are your desires, that is who you are. But we just get that. Like, don't just do what you feel like. That's part of, do you know what? The one thing that makes humans human and not animals is we have the ability to resist the desire, right? That's like the one thing that's special about humanity. And when we say, hey, just give in to your desires, we're like degrading and taking the worth out of our humanity. The gift that we have to say, 
yeah, I want that and I'm not going to do that because there's more flourishing and resisting my desires. And so we experience all kinds of desires all day long. I experienced today many different desires. When I woke up today, I had like time to spend time with Jesus. And I sat there with my Bible and my journal and you guys, all I wanted was to go lay down on the couch. Just all for like half an hour. Oh, I just want to go lay down. I just can't just lay down. Like I was like battling a desire. We have, we're so full of all these different desires. And so here's the question. What desires do we give into? What desires do we not give into? And that's a, that's a valid question. We have these varying passions. And if you're a Christian, warring passions. Like I desire this and I desire this. What is true? Listen, God has graciously spoken clear truth for us in his word to say, hey, this is how you can know truth. And this, my word tells you what desires to resist and what desires to like indulge. Like there are many, you guys, I've said this before, there is more joy and more satisfaction for your desires in, in following and in trusting in Jesus. There's, and, and when we hone our desires his way, you guys, I, like I'll just say, it's, it is so good to be married to one person. Like I've experienced, that's God's design and it is good. It is good. God has spoken truth so that in our world, because every culture is gonna have different ideas of what desires to do and what desires not to do. But God has spoken through all of the confusion to say this is what is true. Now, friendship with the world is this. Whatever desire I'm feeling right now, whatever desire is strongest right now, I should give into that. That is friendship with the world. It's, man, I want, I want more sleep. I want more food. I want to give into every sexual desire. I want to buy this even though I don't have money for it. I want, like, whatever it may be. Friendship with the world is listening to our flesh. Like, letting our heart and our emotions be the governing thing of how we make our decisions and what we think is true. Even like, how's my relationship with God? Well, I don't feel it right now, so it must just be like crappy. Like friendship with the world is letting our desires, our flesh dictate our life. That is number one, what James is referring to, friendship with the world. The second way uh, we've become friends with the world is this. We fight our own brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, When we give in to our desires, it just quickly, if you guys like have roommates or just raised in a house with other humans. When you give in to your desires, it quickly leads to drama and quarrels, right? Because I have a desire to take a shower right now for 45 minutes, but my sister has a desire to also take a shower. And now we're quarreling and we're fighting and one's locked in the door and one's getting a little thing to pick it. Like, nope, I'm getting in here. I'm stronger. When we are governed by our desires, we fight with one another. And that word in verse two, where he says, uh, those you fight and quarrel, it's the same word for war. What he's saying is we go to war with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, you know, we, we always talk about like, oh, the early church, if only the early church. Do you guys know the early church had fights that were so extreme? James was like, you guys are warring with each other. 
That was the early church. And not only that, he then goes on to say, your desires you don't have and so you murder. And you're like, whoa, James, we're not murdering one another. What are you saying? And most commentaries uh, think that probably in that church, someone, a Christian literally murdered another Christian. And so he's not like just speaking hyperbole. He's like, you guys literally murdered somebody because you can't agree on like the volume of worship or like we sing that song so many times and it literally comes down to murder. We in the church and, and how, what a tragic thing, what a clever scheme of the enemy that do you know who we fight with more than anybody else? Like each other. Do you know who we speak poorly about more than anybody else? Each other. Do you know who we judge more than anybody else? each other. You guys know what the number one reason missionaries come home from the field is conflict with their team. It's not like unbelief. It's not like radical satanic demon witch doctors. It's like, I can't stand that person on my team who left everything to go tell people about Jesus. That is the number one reason missionaries come home. And James is like, you guys are fighting with one another. And he lists a couple specific things, three things. Number one, he says, you guys covet one another, verse one and two. He says, what causes all these quarrels and fights? He says, you desire and you covet and you don't have and so you fight and it leads to murder. You guys know that when we covet one another, it may be one another's like looks. It may be one another's uh, spiritual gifts like that. How common is that? Let's be real dang it, why do they do this? Or why is this? Or why are they better at me than my spiritual gift? That's something that we just struggle with. And it's something that we probably face every time we're at church, if we're real, right? Like I'm, we covet one another's whatever, physical appearance, relationships, spiritual gifts. And when is the last time you saw someone gifted by God and were just like, man, that's awesome. God, thank you for doing that, for blessing them and blessing the body of Christ through them. When's the last time we were just content with like our gifting and what God is doing in our life? I uh, read the saddest thing. Uh, there's a study, and if you get a male butterfly and a female butterfly, right? but then you get a cardboard picture of a female butterfly that's bigger than the real butterfly. The male butterfly picks the cardboard butterfly every time. And the female butterfly is like over there, like flapping her wings, like love me, choose me. And he just picks the cardboard every time. Like that's real. And that's so sad. It's like, oh, that is the worst. But listen, we spend all of our time imagining like coveting this cardboard thing that isn't real and we miss out. I'm like, what God has for us. Like right now, God has given you spiritual gifts and people to serve in areas to love and serve him. And we spend and waste our time coveting and looking elsewhere. What else James says? Do you know why you guys fight? Because you speak evil against each other. He says that in verse 11. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother judges. Uh, do you know what's the first thing we do typically when we envy we find some safe person and we just say something bad about them. Like, did you hear? Or can you believe? Or did you feel that was kind of weird when they did that? Like, you know, like we, when we envy, we speak against one another. And listen, it's not like, it's not like we lack stuff to say about each other. If you guys know me, knew, really knew me, you'd be like, oh my gosh, that, 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 that. We all, when we get to know one another, there are many things, many flaws, many quirks, many sins, many shortcomings that we all have. But James is like, 
why do you guys just got to speak that about one another? Why can't you just let that go? Proverbs, we read that last week, says slander no one, let alone like your own brother in Christ. Listen, Jesus is literally saying, don't ever speak poorly about your brother or sister in Christ. If you have a problem, you go to them directly. Don't ever speak poorly against your brother and sister in Christ. And then the third thing he says in verse 12 is because you speak against each other, you judge one another. And that's, that's what we do. We're like, oh, that person. Do you know what? They're probably doing that because of some hidden motive. Like, I, I bet that's what's going on. Or like, yeah, that's cool. But like, have you seen their weaknesses? Like, that's, that's pretty weird. And James and Jesus say, hey, the, the measuring stick you measure will then be, you will be measured on that. And we've all experienced this probably. Uh, there's coming a day or comes a day sooner than we think that we ourselves stumble the same way we like tend to be bummed at someone else on. And God's like, oh really, that's the standard? Like, well, there you go. Like we stumble, we are no better humans or Christians than all of our brothers and sisters. And we spend our time judging one another. James is like, hey, you're gonna be judged too. Do not judge one another. It's just a sad truth that we've become friends with the world, we, we, we make fun of and we slander and we judge and we covet one another. Third way James talks about us becoming friends with the world is he, he uses his language of uh, you live double-minded or you live impure. In verses eight to 10, he talks all about that. You know what? You say you love God, but really you're just double-minded. Really you're living impure. And James is saying, you are called to be not a friend of the world, but to be purely following Jesus. Verse three, he talks about our prayer life. We're, you know, let's be honest. We're often like double-minded in our, or impure in our prayer life. We're like, God, I'm praying, but really we're just using God for like what we want for our desires, our worldly desires, our worldly success, our worldly comfort. Or we're like, you know what, God, I wanna pray and ask you, but we really don't want God. We just like want his stuff. Like we have like these double hearts even in our prayer lives. And he's like, you pray and you're not getting because you're just, you're just praying for your flesh. Do you know? And then in James, uh, in chapter verse four, that's when he just calls out, he's like, you adulterous people. Um, an adulterer, we know, is someone who's cheating on their spouse. So what James is saying of us is, you guys know God and love God and been rescued by God. And then you turn your back and you cheat on God. Like, God, I want you today and I, and I wanna be with you. But like the moment that temptation presents itself, like I kind of want that too, right? Like the moment that like sinful pleasure is on my plate, like, yeah, God will probably forgive me. Like, I want this one too. And he's saying, you adulterous people. Yeah, you want God, but like, then the moment you get sin, like you want your sin too. And then he says, and do you know what? Here's the attitude that we should have when we are committing adultery on God. In verse nine, he says, you guys are laughing and are joyful. This is, and he's like, do you know what you should do? You should be mourning and your joy should turn to gloom. You know, this, this attitude towards our sin is you will not get that from the world. One of the hardest things and one of the dangers of being in the world is sin is just so lightly treated, right? Like, like TV shows, it's just 
horrific sin and it's like laughed off and it's just normal. Yeah, yeah, it's like not that big of a deal. Everybody like, yeah, it's just not that big of a deal. The world treats sin so lightly. And that's why James uses those words like laughter and joy. Like when, when we are in sin and when sin is happening, and again, God loves sinners, but if you've been to a bar, if you've been to a place where it's, things are not healthy, there's just laughter and there's joy and it's normal. And it's like not that big of a deal. And when we watch shows or listen to things that is just immersed in the world, it just is like this light attitude. Like honestly, think about how many people you've seen just like bloody murdered on a screen. Think about that. I've probably seen a thousand people murdered on a screen. It's like, oh yeah, it's just like, that's normal, right? Like that's just what TV is. It's just what movies are. Think about how many like times you have watched adultery committed on a screen. Just think about that. I just like watch it. It's just, yeah, it's just normal. Like when are you going to find a show that that isn't talked about or where that's not just laughed off? And I'll be honest, you guys, like this one hurts because I love art and music and shows and movies and Broadway. I love a good like story and it is so hard to find stuff that is not just seeped in the world. It's just hard. And the more I immerse myself in it, the more like sin just seems not that big of a deal. And God's like, you need to have this attitude of mourning and gloom when you see sin and when you commit sin. You shouldn't just rejoice. You should, ha- like we, when we sin, should have this attitude of mourning. Like when's the last time you were just mourning and broken over your own sin? Like when have you wept? When have you humbled yourself and just been like, I, like, woe, like Isaiah, woe is me. I am a sinful man. I have sinful lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And he's saying that is the proper posture. When you trust and follow Jesus, that is the posture I want for my people. Friendship with the world, sin just seems like not that big of a deal. Uh, One last note on that. I want to talk about revival for a second. We're the age where like, we pray for revival. We're the age where revivals historically, like God uses youth for revival and we pray for revival. I mean, we long for revival. Like I, like I pray for revival on our campuses and in our area. Like I pray this room would just be packed with people genuinely seeking Jesus. Uh, a pastor who's witnessed revival and studied revival, his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He, he said this about revival. This is something we don't often think about when we think about revival. Go, he says, go and read the history of revivals again. Watch the individuals at the beginning. There is invariably, the, this is invariably the first thing that happens to them. They begin to see what a terrible, appalling thing sin is in the sight of God. They temporarily even forget the state of the church. It is this thought of their sin in the sight of God. Never has there been a revival, but that some of the people, especially at the beginning, have had such visions of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin that they have scarcely known what to do with themselves. That is this posture of like, God, you are so holy and I am so wicked. And then how good does the cross and Jesus look when God is so holy and our sin is so horrible And then Jesus comes in, like that 
is revival. When people are broken, revival isn't, oh, my, um, my like nerve endings are firing because the room is bumping. Like that's not revival. Like that's a U2 concert, honestly. There's nothing wrong with nerve endings firing. That's cool. But revival is when you see the holiness of God and the wickedness of your sin like Isaiah and then you see the gospel in that light and God is so good and better than anything like that is revival. I, there's even historically revivals on colleges, or I've told the story before, where it, a revival started as people corporately just confessed their sin and then someone else would confess their sin and then people would begin to weep over their sin and like revival happens when when we don't view sin like the world we view it like man it is the worst thing imaginable because God is so holy but Jesus came for my sin and so God is saying stop being friends with the world the more time you spend with them the less the further your heart is for revival the further your heart is of like broken over sin like spend some time with the Lord and not don't soak your mind just in that all day long Number four, friendship with the world looks like us boasting in our plans. It's an interesting one, verses 13 to 16. He's saying, do you know what? Do you know what the world does? They just boast all day long about their futures and their careers and their jobs and their success and their plans. He's saying, that's not what I've called you to do. I've called you to humbly make your plans. The the world says, you know, I'm gonna set my own schedule. He says, today or tomorrow we're gonna go. I'm gonna choose my own way, such and such a city. Like I'm the captain of my fate. I'm gonna place my own timetable. I'm gonna spend a year there. I'm gonna arrange my life and my own activities when he says we'll engage in business. And then we just predict success, right? Like I'm gonna go make an an income. I'm gonna make a great outcome and make a profit. Like it's not wrong to make plans, but God is actually saying to us as we're young, trying to plan out our lives, listen, you don't know where you're gonna be tomorrow. You don't know what's gonna, your life, I love this, is like a a, uh, spray of Febreze. That's your life. Febreze, spray it. There was your life. And we're like, I'm gonna go do this and this and this. And like, we wear that. Like, look at who I am and look at my plans and look at my degrees and look at my success and all of this stuff. God's like, that's not what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to humbly submit yourself to God and your plans to God and be willing and ready for him to intervene as you follow him. Listen, Jesus directs your paths and Jesus leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We don't kind of like figure out our life and like, all right, Jesus, here's the game plan. Let's do this. And listen, I'll just testify every significant plan I have ever made has been changed by God. I thought I was gonna be a worship pastor. I thought I was going to seminary. I thought I was gonna live in LA. Uh, I was not planning on youth ministry. I was not planning on being a pastor, a teacher. This college ministry was not my idea. Uh, My wife and I are now like, our plans, honestly, like when have we made a plan that happened? It doesn't happen. So we're like, you know what? We're here until further notice and I'm gonna follow Jesus and find contentment in him. I'm gonna grow my gifts and like serve where I can and put down my roots. And if God steps in, then God will step in. I've seen him do it in like every person in the Bible. And so I trust he's gonna do that for me. And when I do try to make plans, he lovingly is like, hey, that's nice, but I'm actually, we're gonna do this together. God is saying, hey, don't be like the world. Don't obsess over your future. What a temptation, right, at this age, like just obsessing. What am I gonna do with my life? And he's saying, just be faithful with what is before you. Just, do you know what you should obsess with? 
walking with Jesus because he's your shepherd and you're a sheep and sheep make bad plans. But sheep have shepherds who make better plans. So do you know what you should do? I just want to spend time with Jesus and I want to hear and know my, my Jesus's voice. Is this what Jesus would say? Is this how Jesus would lead me? Jesus, maybe I would want to do this one day. Sure, talk to, talk to him about it. Pray, seek wise counsel and humbly, prayerfully like say, maybe I want to do this one day. And then write down your, your plan in pencil and be ready for Jesus to say, actually, we're not going to do that. Actually, we're going to do this instead. He's saying, don't obsess over your life and your success and your career and your profit. Trust me, be faithful. Don't be like the world. Don't think you have to do, because like, don't you feel crazy when everyone else has like got their game plan? And you're like, dude, I'm just a schmuck. I don't, have, I don't have a game plan. I need a game plan. And they're like, well, where are you going to go to grad school? And what's your retirement account like? And what kind of insurance do you have? And you're like, I, I didn't know I needed these things. And they're not, they're not bad things, but you're, the whole world is telling you things that is not necessarily what Jesus is saying. And it, just be far more concerned with being near to Jesus because I have a feeling Jesus knows how to take care of you better than we know how to take care of ourselves. And you know where our anxiety comes from? When we are like sheep, like trying to figure out what we're gonna do. That's, tre- that's stressful. Jesus is like, you don't even know if tomorrow's gonna come. Just trust me, trust me. The last uh, way we become friends with the world, James refers to is we kill our conscience and we ignore the Holy Spirit. He says that in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Um, God has given every human a conscience, just a God-given written the law on our hearts. We know right and wrong. Um, But then like the world just kind of like scoffs at the the conscience, right? Like even small things, gray areas. Like, listen, there are gray areas in following Jesus. I'll, I'll talk about two. And I almost like don't want to. Here's a gray area. Can you smoke weed? I'm not sure. The Bible says a lot of different things. Uh, but I do know you have a conscience. And I have a feeling your conscience is saying something. And not only do you have a conscience, if you're Christian, you have a super conscience who's called the Holy Spirit, God himself, okay? Uh, and just because the Bible says, hey, this is the line, because the Bible doesn't say this is the line of how far you can go with your boyfriend or girlfriend sexually, you're like, oh, it's not in here. Maybe I can do, I, maybe I can do this, this, or this. Listen, I know that you have a conscience and the Holy Spirit is in you. In verse 17, he's saying, do you know what friendship is with the world is? Ignore that, just do it. Gray areas, whatever. That is the way of the world. And if you want to be like the world and saturate your mind and heart in the world, ignore the Holy Spirit and ignore your conscience. But, but that is grieving and quenching the conscience, that's being an enemy of God. That's literally God lovingly, jealously saying, don't do this. And we're like, no, I, I want this still. That is to be an enemy of God. Um, there's this crazy story I know firsthand, I just want to share it, of the Holy Spirit and the conscience. There's um, this old guy, I've shared this once on a Sunday here. There's this really old pastor, like old. Like when I think of him, it's like the saggy like skin in the neck, just old. But he like loved Jesus. And he was like, you know, you're like, I was kind of like a little kid and he'd always talk to me about Jesus. He's Pastor Kent. And you're like, you're kind of weird, but like, you're also kind of awesome. And he was like, let me tell you this story. And I, it was like relevant somehow. And he was like, you know, I was counseling this man. And it's actually really sad. He's like, this man 
is a modern day Job. His wife left him, he lost his job, and he was about to commit suicide. And I had met with him, and I just heard his story, and I didn't know what to say, and that was pretty much like all I did. And I got his number, and then a couple weeks later, he's like, I'm sitting in my office, and he said, I just felt like I was supposed to call this guy. And he's like, gosh, that meeting was so awkward. What do I say to him? And he's like, and he knew it was the Lord, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, just do this. And he's like, I don't want to do this. This is, you know, like those calls or that conversation, that thing, you're like, I don't want to do this, but I know that I should. And so he he musters up the courage. He calls the guy and he, the guy picks up the phone. He's like, hey, I don't know, Jim, like, how's it going? And Jim is just like cold, just stone cold, good okay, bro, well, you probably didn't say bro. Uh, he was like, okay, well, you know, is everything going okay? And he's like, yeah. All right, well, I just wanted to check in, you know, like anything I could be praying for. If they, how are things going? They're fine. Okay, well, um, praying for you, buddy, probably said, have a good day. And he hung up the phone and he was like, God, I obeyed you. And that was the worst, most awkward thing I've ever done. Um, have you ever like had that experience? Like, why did you tell me to do that? Why was, what was that? Uh, weeks go by, forgets all about it. And then he gets a call from Jim, whatever his name is. And he's like, we need to talk. So he sits down with Jim and Jim proceeds to tell him, Kent, I uh, found out who my wife was cheating on me with and I bought a gun and I found out where he went on his uh, daily run in a park. And I went to the park and I, had the gun and I was going to, uh, my plan was to murder him and then to kill myself. And I'm sitting in the bench and I watch him coming and my phone rings and I pick up my phone and I don't know why I picked up my phone. And I have this conversation with you as the man runs by me and you're asking me how I'm doing and you're asking me how I can pray. And I'm just like annoyed and in shock. And just this man goes by And he runs by and we hang up the phone and I knew God had stayed my hand and said, you're not doing that. And Kent was like, just trying to not freak out, right? But like, oh my gosh, God speaks and leads and he tells us to do these things that are awkward and weird and they don't even go well. And do you know what? Probably most of the time we don't get to find out that like, like that's what God did. But God says, if you wanna be a friend of the world, just ignore those things. Ignore your conscience. Do you know what? It's a gray area legally, so just go for it. The more we ignore and suppress what we know to be right, we are partnering with the world and we are missing out on what God wants to do in and through us. And so James busts us and he's like, and listen, he busted me and he's probably, I hope, busted. I mean, I don't hope, but He's probably busted you in one of these areas, if not all of them. Um, Here's the best part of this chapter. Look at verse six. This is what he says. But he gives more grace. Um, Every one of us are full of evil, wicked, fleshly desires. And every one of us has been far too friendly with the world. Every one of us in this room has fallen short like this week. We've quarreled with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been impure. We've been proud. We've boasted in our plans. We've ignored the Holy Spirit. And do you know what God does? 
he gives more grace. There is always more grace for us than we can rebel against God. There is always more grace for you than you can befriend the world. There is always more grace for you than you can run and deny and, and like literally cheat on God. There is more grace for you. And there is always hope for us if we humble ourselves and turn to God. Uh, some of you guys, maybe don't, you're like not even, you don't know God. You haven't been walking with him. Uh, you've only like been a friend of the world. Listen, God has extended the hand of friendship to you. And he's, he's saying, I came for you and I died for you and I offer forgiveness to you and I, and I want to be your friend. And he extends grace to you. And if you are a Christian who has been a adulterer to God, God is saying, I have more grace for you. And right now, his posture towards you, if you can believe it, is grace. His posture towards you and your adultery is grace. I love you and I've died for you and I came for the world. I love the world so much I would come lay my life down. Now here's the thing though. Here's what's required of us. Verse six says, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. You know, probably the greatest tragedy, the greatest sin is the sin of pride. Like, yeah, that's cool, God, but like, I'm okay though. Like, like I, I've got this. Uh, when we refuse to humble ourselves, all we get from God is this stiff arm of opposition. But when we humble ourselves, when we like are willing to be brokenhearted and weep and have this posture of like, woe is me, God, I am sorry. He says, I have grace for you, son. I have grace for you, daughter. And I will not run out of grace. Every day I have a whole new fresh batch of mercy for you. And do you know what else I love about God's grace? His grace isn't just forgiveness. It's like help. It's help to follow him. Augustine said, it's brilliant. Give me the grace to do as you command. Like we don't just get grace tonight, get cleaned up and then like fail and then get grace again. Grace, as we humble ourselves before God, like tonight, grace is strength and empowering. Listen to 1 Thessalonians. This is like the best two verses in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, 25. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God is faithful. He will do it. He will keep us. He will sanctify us completely. One more, Jude 21, 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. You know, God is able to keep you from stumbling. As he kept that man from murdering someone, God is able to keep you from stumbling. And he is able to present you blameless before him. And so tonight, let's humble ourselves and ask for grace. And then let's ask for grace to like, obey him and trust him and not just absorb all the world has to offer. Let's ask him for grace to walk with him because he's like willing and loves sustaining and helping and sanctifying. He 
is faithful. I'm just gonna close with this verse as uh, we go into worship. Verse eight, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Like that's a real promise of grace right now as we worship him. You have an opportunity. I just picture God like drawing near to you. Just picture that. Like God's like, like God walked in the room and he's like, he's like walking to be with you. He says, draw near to me. Come, humble yourself and he will draw near to you. I'm gonna pray for us and then let's just press in. Let's, let's humble ourselves. Let's, uh, let's, let's confess our sin to him. I even, um, instead of having a prayer team tonight, I just wanted us to have, we're gonna have enough time for worship. I, like, let's reach out to one another. Like, let's, for real, like, be honest and confess and pray for one another. Let's um, say, man, I need grace in this area. I've been like the world in this area. Will you pray for me? And maybe let's do the same for, for one another. So let's, uh, let's draw near to our Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love enough just to, like a good father, just to call out, hey, this needs to change. My son, my daughter, I love you so much. And this needs to go and that needs to go. And God, would we, not, would we not resist you right now? Would you even help those of us like myself who are proud? Lord, help us break our pride. Holy Spirit, it's your job to convict us of sin. No other person can do that. No sermon can do that. God, you, um, you Holy Spirit, convict of sin. And then you show us Jesus. You show us the righteousness of Christ that is ours. And so would we just draw near to you right now, Lord? Would we, um, man, see nothing better for this next however long, half hour, 40 minutes, would there be nothing better to us than to draw near to you, God, that you would draw near to us? Will we humble ourselves before you now? We draw near to you.